we get gifts ever so often, or maybe something free comes in the mail, and we realize our kids don't need that. They have so much. And then, you know, ever so often, oh, you know that thing that we've been holding on to, waiting maybe, or maybe we've given it away by now? <laughs> we give it to the kids. There's joy for 10 minutes. There's happiness for an hour. I love it when it's like, oh, they've been playing with it for a week. <laughs> Wonderful. And a few of our items, they've been playing for months, which is great. But oh, how quickly some of those things are just on the side. And mommy and daddy are, oh, guys, 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 remember this, this gift you just got. And they're off to do something else. Oh, how quickly that joy of something new, of something material, how quickly it passes. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you lasting joy, a joy you can hope in, a joy that you can see, that you can believe, that you can hold on to with all your might. And for the people of God for Israel, this hope they thought was just really a dream. There's context here. If you look at just a few pages over in Psalm 137, you'll understand a little bit of where this psalmist and his attitude and heart is as we find a psalm all about Babylon ridiculing and chiding the follower of God. Look at what it says here in Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. That'll play in with our psalm. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. We couldn't play music. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Mocking them, making fun, chiding. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What a question. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, and he goes on, he will not forget the city of God, Jerusalem, even as others mock him and say, sing us those songs once again, you captives. Sing us of that wonderful city that you miss. This psalmist in 137 even says, if I don't set Jerusalem above my highest joy, here was a psalmist that dreamed, that continued to hopefully look at Jerusalem as his joy, and possibly the dream was, I will get back. Possibly the question was, Will I get back? But the question for us is, what are you dreaming? Are you still dreaming? Are you still hoping for?
for? Are you still praying about? Because our God is the one who answers dreams. In him, dreams do come true. As we see in this psalm, 126. Let's read verses 1 through 6. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray as we unpack God's word today. Father, you are the one who makes what seems impossible, possible. You make what seems like the highest mountain surpassable. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, give us hope in what could be Give us hope in what will be the promises that are yet to come. Give us hope, O oh Lord, and give us joy. Joy that comes from knowing who our God is and knowing what he is capable and what he will do <coughs> for his people. Give us joy, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. So what are you dreaming? Are you dreaming? Are you thinking, if only this? For Israel had a dream. And this psalm tells us that their dream came true. I love how the first verse says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Interestingly enough, you might have a different uh, translation, but the ESV is not as literal as the language. It literally says, when the Lord reversed our captivity. When the Lord reversed our captivity of the people of Zion. It is reference to when they were set free. And you can think of different stories. The Exodus, when they came out of Egypt. And God miraculously showed up and parted the Red Sea. The people went through. And when they turned around, there was the sea filled with Pharaoh and his army drowned. And the people of God realizing, we are free. God has made what seemed impossible possible. We are not going back to Egypt. And there in Exodus, Moses leads the people in a song of praise, a song of joy. Or possibly when 
David, the king, who wasn't king yet, was running from Saul, feeling captive in the caves. And yet he would let the Lord deal with King Saul. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. And he would trust in the Lord in his runnings and in his trials and feeling alone. Even his own children after him wanting to take control. And yet the Lord brings him into rule and reign over the people of Israel. When Samuel came to anoint him, I wonder if David wondered, is it really true, God? How am I, the runner, going to be king of this people? Is it true, Lord? Will your promises come true? And they did. Maybe something David was dreaming of. Maybe something that would have never been a part of the dream that he had. And yet God appointed him over Saul to be the next king. But of course, the main story of verse 1, when the Lord reversed the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Mouths open. Are we really? Going back. This is told so beautifully, if I can actually find it. Squeezed in here is the story of God bringing the people out of captivity like a dream headed home to Jerusalem. Look at Ezra, or you can listen in. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 shares this beautiful turn of events, this reversal. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, after Persia came in, <coughs> took out the power of Babylon, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it into writing. So that Jeremiah's prophecies would be fulfilled. God's word is true. The Lord stirred up King Cyrus. And this is what he said. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. The people are going, what did he just say? This foreign king just mentioned our hometown. He just said he wants to build our house back up. Verse 3, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he just sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. 
you take that moment and contrast that with Psalm 137. The people are being chided. Oh, sing us one of your songs of Jerusalem, you captive people. And then all of a sudden, they're going home. God answers. At just the right time, just as he promised, 70 years later, the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion. So, do we believe God can do the impossible? Do we believe that when we pray, he actually answers more than we ask, or more than we can imagine? It was for this people of Israel as they were walking home as if they were in a dream. Is this really happening? Let let me wake up. This can't be true. It is true. For with God, dreams do come true. We might be asking though, Lord, when will you fix? Dot, dot, dot. When are you going to heal? Dot, dot, dot. When are you going to save? Or when are you going to come back? Can I really keep hoping and dreaming for this thing that seems impossible? We must. We must remain hopeful in the midst of despair. This restoration, as one commentator says, was so complete, so strange, so unlooked for, it was brought about immediately as these decreed letters were sent out, and it was without any work or endeavor used on the side of Israel. It was, in all respects, as a dream. Israel didn't do anything for this. One day they were captive, the next day they were free. The decree of Cyrus, the hand of God, changed everything for them. They became full of joy. Look at verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. God was doing a restoration project. God is about restoring his people, restoring you and I, and one day perfectly giving us perfect restoration. When all the troubles of this world, as some songs have put it, will pass away, and our home, our life will be forever changed. Do you have Christ in your life for this dream to be a reality? He makes dreams possible. He makes them come true. But you must have Christ. He calls himself, I am a gift that needs to be received, as Ephesians 2.8 speaks of. Not by your works, you don't do anything to receive it, but by his grace, 
He changes our hearts, and you can say, I believe. And he too will do a restoration project. He restored others such as Job 42.10. When Job had lost everything in his life, he says at the end, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Like a dream. Is this really happening? On a more personal note, King David, as he sinned, the greatest repentant psalm, Psalm 51, he cried out to the Lord, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Against you only have I sinned, O Lord. David prayed for restoration. Amos, one of the prophets in chapter 9, 14, God promises, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Almost the exact same Hebrew phrase. This was part of God's promise coming true. God was restoring his people out of exile, back to their homeland. And there's a New Testament promise that is so precious to my own heart. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, this God will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Aren't those beautiful words that this is what our God does for us? He restores us. He confirms our walk, our faith. He strengthens us in our faith. And he establishes us. Just like he did with the people of Israel. Taking them out of captivity taking them by the hand, bringing them back into their city, seeing the city rebuilt. And if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, it's all about the turmoil of trying to rebuild. But God makes it happen for his people. He comes through with his word. God is the God of great reversals. We remember that story of Esther. When the Jewish people thought all was lost, God raises up this woman named Esther who goes in before the king, sacrificing possibly her life to bring about, hopefully, redemption and grace for her people. And God shows her favor. And God restores his people. God is a God of great reversals, of turnarounds, of transformation. Do we believe that of our God? If we do, that allows us to dream, that allows us to hope, that allows us to say, God, if you could or if you would, What might be a dream for you that only God could answer? What might be a hope for you that is too big for yourself, but God can certainly do all things? He 
He answers even more than we ask or imagine. Second, though, we see the result of this dream coming true. What are the people of Israel saying? What are the nations saying? The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. Have you heard about what has happened to Israel? The news is spreading. Nations are talking about this. And then it gets personal to the people of Israel. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. What are you saying? What are we as a church saying? We certainly could echo this song. The Lord has done great things for us. Can you say that today? In your seat, can you say, He is doing great things? He has done great things. Can you even say, I believe He is going to do great things because He has promised that He will do good? That's faith. We may not see it around us, but faith is believing in what we do not see. Because God has said so. He is working everything out for our good. He is a home ready for us. Jesus promised, I have gone away, but I am preparing a place. Do you believe in the fact that I am gone working on your home, your eternal home? And he says, I am coming back like a thief in the night. To gather my children, my sheep, my flock. We say, come, Lord, quickly come. But we also are ambassadors telling others, warning others, he is coming again. He has done great things for us. He is doing great things. He will do great things. I had to check my heart this week because what really this truth shows up in is in my prayers. Do I pray for great things? Do I pray for impossible things, things that I think might be impossible? Am I praying for those kind of things? For the truth is the Lord has already done great things for us. We are glad. And if he has done that, he doesn't change. He is doing great things. You might say, well, how is he doing great things when I have this going on? Or when I've lost this? How is he doing great things? That's where the rubber meets the road. Where our faith is strengthened. Where God comes and says, I will never leave you. Trust me. I am with you always. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When we go back to his promises, when doubt comes in or unbelief comes in, we go back to his promises 
we look at what he has done to Israel and we say, wow, he can do the impossible. What are we dreaming? What are we saying? This word for shouts of joy is this word jubilation. It is littered with this idea of singing, exaltation, worship, that what comes out of a heart of being shocked at what God has done, it can't help but get out into song. This is where the people of Israel were. Of course, they're walking out of captivity, and they still cannot even believe that they are free, that no one is telling them what each day is going to look like. No one is telling them what kind of food they're going to have. No one is giving them labor that is painful and is toilsome. They are free. We will say God has done great things when we continually remember the captivity that we have been brought out of. That sin no longer has dominion. That darkness is no longer our kingdom. That we are in light. That we have been given righteousness found in Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous that our sins are forgiven, that we are free from this bondage that we can't get out of. We have a new purpose. We have a new love. We have a new joy. It's not fleeting. It doesn't disappoint. It is true. It will come through. It will never let us down. Oh, how difficult it is to remind ourselves to say these things to ourselves. What are we saying? Like the people of Israel, are we repeating, the Lord has done great things. The Lord is doing great things. Not what are we just dreaming about, not what are we saying, but what are we reaping? And interestingly enough, usually the phrase is, you will reap what you sow. And that actually is very true. But what is amazing is in the plan of God, there are times when we do not reap what we sow. When we get far better than what we've sown. Look at this last section of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Again, the same phrase, but it's now in the present of life. Lord, bring us out of the things that would bring captivity upon us, like streams in the Negev. That's the Negev, the southern part of Israel that was hot, dry, most year-round, hard to find springs, hard to find water. But when the rains came, when they hit the mountaintops or the high plateaus, they would, the water would come down like a rush, like a flood, suddenly, 
abruptly, <coughs> overwhelmingly. If you've ever been in California, you understand how that land and the crust of the earth dries up, and if there's any sudden rain, right away there's a stream, down your road most likely. <laughs> they can't contain the waters that come because of the dry land. This is like the Lord saying, I'm giving you things, gracious things that you do not deserve. You are going to reap that which you did not sow. For look what they did sow. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is perfect language for our area, right? The, the casting of seed, the sowing of things into the land, wondering, I know for me, I experienced this year, the garden didn't produce like I remember it. The seed that was sown, where's the fruit? Where's the vegetables? We might even sow in sorrow. This isn't worth it. Nothing good is going to come of this. We might sow in tears like these psalms. All this work and now we're in captivity. We can't bear this trial. That might be what gets sown. But the Lord says, what is going to be reaped, what is going to come in, is not like the garden that didn't produce for me. The reaping is going to be shouts of joy. The harvest, the sheaves are coming in. And you know as any, if you're a farmer, when you see everything coming up and the produce is overwhelming and the sheaves are in the barn, you are rejoicing, celebrating, maybe having and friends invited along. Come, rejoice with me. God says, to follow me is to reap such joy. Like Psalm 30, weeping might last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We might end the day with burdens and trials and deep prayers, maybe of God, I'm having a hard time believing in the impossible. But that psalm says, joy comes in the morning. It's a new day. God is faithful. The sun is up. God can do the impossible. That's what these people, the people of Israel, experienced and saw. We are free. We are heading home. We just, we can't even imagine. We are getting to go back to Jerusalem, the city of God, his special place. And yes, it won't be easy. There's rebuilding, but God is with us. For God released us from our slavery. God 
heard our tears and our cries. As the psalmist says, he puts every one of them in a bob. He knows them all. And now, look at what God has done. This dream has come true. That's the truth for all of us, at least eternally. That God has set us free from our captivity. And I pray that you can even take this and say, how can I be like Israel and say, the Lord has done great things for us? What can I recount and remember when it was weeping in the night, but joy came in the morning? How has he done the impossible? For that is who our God is. Let us not lose hope in that. Let us look with hopeful joy as we travel on this pilgrim journey. And as God answers prayers, as God shows his grace to us, may we be able to respond with shouts, literally, I don't care if you shout, <laughs> shouts of joy, songs of jubilation, to say thank you, God. For all you've done. I don't deserve it. Amen? Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer and sing our final song. Father, thank you that we get to read this psalm right before Thanksgiving of how you have done great things for us. Help us to not lose focus on that for all the enemy wants to do is make us willow and wallow and complain and begrudge our condition. When, Lord, we deserve far worse. You have done great things for us. And, Lord, if there's anyone in here who says, I don't know if the Lord has done anything, I'm angry, I am bitter, I am hurt by the Lord. Would they take that honest, true emotion and bring it to you, Lord? For you are the comforter of all comforts. You are the one who listens to us. And out of our weeping, and out of our hurt, and out of our suffering, even as 1 Peter 5.10 says, you do restore and strengthen and establish us. And Lord, there might be someone in this room who with that anger and that hurt could say, I could never turn to the Lord. I could never love this God. May they see the God who has loved them so greatly in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their anger, in the midst of their pain. He shows them love he shows us love by sending Jesus Christ to take care of all of our judgments that are meant to be upon us, all of the wrath of God that is meant to be upon us, all of the consequence of our sins. Jesus Christ forgives us 
of that judgment and that wrath to come. May anyone in this room who hasn't trusted in Jesus turn to him right now, receive that gift of his love, and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. What must I do to be saved? I believe. May they do that even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.